morning, everyone. Can you please stand and sing with us? God who saves 
for just a second. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I apologize. Go. <laughs> Never mind. Stand back up. I'm new to this. Your Sunday morning aerobics. <laughs> I don't know if we just got fired. We didn't do this first song. Gonna... <clears throat> well, enough. So David's excited to greet y'all and get started <laughs> preaching. Woo! Let, let, let's sing one more song. <laughs> Even asked for this song. <laughs> Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope and no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life be. Oh, ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. And my orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace so Washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us.
Church. If you are a visitor with us today, we are so glad to have you. I want to recognize an individual, Mr. Gene Roberts, is back with us today. Praise God for that. Mr. Gene, we have missed you. If you are a visitor and you got one of our lovely, finally published little bulletins here, please rip the tab off, fill it out, stick it in the plate. We want to have a record of your visit so that we can reach out to you, that we have an opportunity to love on you. Next week is Father's Day. Bottles are due. You can fill them up with change, you can fill them up with cash, or you can write a check with as many zeros as you can support. Uh, I think we're good on announcements. Take a second as Curtis comes and just greet the person right next to you. Say hi, give them a hug, shake their neck, hug their hands, whatever. Oh! In the south, it's high, H-I, so say hi. As long as you do it that way, you really mean it, don't you? That's right, okay, come on, let's stand back again. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day, day I will never forget. After I'd wandered in darkness away, Jesus, my Savior, I met. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend. He met the need of my heart. Shadows dispelling with joy, telling he made all the darkness depart. 
heaven came down, glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins are washed away, and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down, glory filled my soul. Born of a spirit with life from above, into God's family divine, justified fully through Calvary's love, oh, what a standing is mine. And the transaction so quickly was made, when as a sinner I came, took the offer of grace, he did offer, he saved me, oh, praise your name. Heaven came down, glory filled my soul. When at the cross my Savior made me whole, my sins were washed away, and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down, glory filled my soul. Now of a hope that will surely endure after the passing of time, I have a future in heaven for sure, there in those mansions sublime. And it's because of that wonderful day when at the cross I believe Riches eternal and blessings supernal from his precious hand I receive. Heaven came down, glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down, glory filled my soul. Thank you. You may be seated.
I can laugh at myself. First, or excuse me, Second Samuel chapter six. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the ark of God, by the name of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was in the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, at times it seems irrelevant. It just seems that way, Lord. Father, at times it's hard. And it is. Father, at times it's encouraging, it's uplifting, and we praise you for that. But Father, first and foremost, it's your word. We thank you for giving your word to us, Father. We ask that you speak now. Father, set this old clay pot aside. Father, I ask that you show up, that you break bread, that you teach, that you preach. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask it all in the pure and holy name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. All right, before we dig in, does anybody have a word of testimony they feel they need to offer before God today? I give you an opportunity. Going once, going twice, sold. All right. 1 Corinthians 1.27 tells us that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So when you leave your head scratching today, I want you to remember two words. Scripture fulfills. <laughs> what we have in 2 Samuel here is the account of David who has gone to get the ark. Now let's do a little setup and let's do a little tie-in. Aaron's been in Ruth. If you don't know the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, I want you to plug your ears for a second because I've got a spoiler alert. Three, two, one. Okay. They get married. Ruth and Boaz have a kid. What's the kid's name, anybody? Obed. You know what happens to Obed? He grows up. He gets married. And like a good Jew, he has kids. Obed has a son. His name's Jesse. Jesse that we know of has eight sons. What's the youngest one's name? David. I love that name. It's a great name. <laughs> he was named after me. A Bible character's named after me. Who knew? David eventually becomes the sovereign king of Israel, uniting the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. We've got Israel in the north. We've got Judah in the south. He unites all the tribes together. Well, where Aaron's at on Sunday mornings in Ruth, there are some people that are coming across the ocean. They're sailing, and they're starting these little colonies up in the northern sections of the eastern Mediterranean. If we read ancient Egyptian writings, they're called the Sea Peoples. If we read other, what we would call Semitic texts, Middle Eastern texts, they're called the Sea Peoples. But the Bible has a very specific name for them. They call them Philistines. These are Greeks that have come across the Aegean Sea, and they're setting up these little colonies. They also go down into what we would know as Libya 
and Algeria, and they're setting up colonies. And what their main goal is, they're attacking Egypt. They're constantly going against Pharaoh, constantly raiding Pharaoh. Well, you know what? While we're here in the Middle East, let's raid these little local towns. Let's get their treasure. Why not? We're here. Let's do it. And so about the time Obed's born is when the attacks really start to happen and through Jesse. And when David comes along, Philistines are in full attack mode. They're, they're just on Israel, on Israel, constantly raiding the villages, going in, stealing treasures, taking captives. We know David goes out and he fights against their big guy, Goliath. He wins. And David becomes king, and the Philistines hear of this. Now, David has had a love-hate relationship with the Philistines the whole time. When Saul hates David, the Philistines love him. When Saul relents and he's okay with David, the Philistines hate him. And so David's constantly back and forth, back and forth. Well, David is now king. Saul has died. Jonathan has died. All of Saul's heirs have been put to death except for one of, son, one of Jonathan's sons that David takes as his own family member. And David's king. Well, when the Philistines begin these raids, they come out and they have this huge battle. And they, 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 they wipe Israel's nose. They come in and they clean their clock. The Philistines killed 3,000 of Israel's armies in one day. And so they all go back in camps. The way they fight is kind of like the way we fought the Civil War here. You would battle in the day, go back to your camp at night. If you had a brother in the other camp, you might go see them, spend a moment of fellowship with them, but then you would go back to your camp. Well, they're camped out. Philistines are on one hill. A couple hills over, you have the Israelites. And the Israelites, they're licking their wounds. They're talking about, what can we do? What can we possibly do? I know, let's get the ark. Get, send runners to Shiloh, bring the ark. Let's have the ark because you know when we have the ark before us, we always win. Mighty cheer in the camp. They go get the ark. When they come back with it, even greater cheer, so much so that the Philistines are, what's happening? Oh, no, they brought the ark. A god has entered their camp. And the Philistines are trying to rouse courage, trying to rouse courage, trying to build up. And their leaders, fight as men. Fight like you have never fought before. You don't want to be a slave to an Israelite. Fight, fight, fight. And the next day, <laughs> they kill almost 40,000 Israelites in battle. And not only that, they take the ark. Death blow to Israel. The ark, the symbolic presence of the Lord has been taken. Well, they don't keep it very long. It goes on its little world tour, kind of like the McRib. It's, I'm here, I'm gone, I'm here, I'm gone. And it goes around the cities. And it goes to like Ekron and Ashdod, and they take it. They put it in the temple, and their statue of Dagon falls before it. And so the, the city guys in Ashdod, we got to get rid of this thing, get it out. So they send it over to Ekron. People start to die. They get these tumors, these boils. Mice start coming in. Could you imagine just laying in bed and mice biting on you throughout the night, just constantly picking at you and biting at you, toes, ears, fingers, arms, whatever. And they're like, mm, this thing's got to go, baby. Get it out. And so they send it to the next town. Well, it makes, it makes the tour. And the whole time it's doing this, tumors bust out all over the Philistines, mice infest every city boils and lesions rise up on the flesh and so the leader of the philistines calls their priests and their soothsayers and he's like what can we do send it back 
Get rid of it. We've got to get rid of this thing. But you've got to send it back with a trespass offering. Well, priest, what would be a good trespass offering? You've got to take gold and you've got to make these little tumors. Make little tumors of gold. Make little golden mice. Monopoly just got real, didn't it? You want to be the dog? No, I want to be the gold mouse. And put those in with the ark and send it back. But here's what we're going to do. Got to have a new cart. Yeah, absolutely. Got to have a brand new cart. Nothing's ever been put on it. All right. What we're going to do is we're going to take two milk cows that have never been yoked. These are cows that have just given birth. They've got calves that are still nursing. What we're going to do is we're going to put the calves in the barn. We're going to put these two cows in front of this brand new cart loaded with the ark and all these little golden mice. And if it's, God, if it's their God's will, it'll go on to their city. If not, it'll come back to us. Now, this is kind of a stacked deck, is it not? What's the cow's first instinct? I've got a lowing baby back in the barn. I'm going to that baby. <laughs> they stack the deck. It's, it's, surely this can't be God. This is just a plague that just came about us. We're going we're gonna to stack it so that we keep the ark, we keep the gold mice, we keep the gold tumors. We're awesome. Their God had nothing to do with it. Well, what happens? The cow marches on, and it goes to the next city in Israel. And the people are so elated. They see it coming, and they cheer. And they take the ark off, and they set it on this rock, and they take the cart, the brand-new cart, bust it to pieces, start a fire, sacrifice the cows to Yahweh in praise that the ark has returned. Well, what happens? They accost the ark. They treat it with disrespect. They come against God with complacency, with arrogance, and just blatant disrespect. So much so that most translations agree that God broke out against the city and killed 50,070 men. And there was a great cry in that city from disrespect of God's ark. It's just a box. It's this wide. It's this tall. It's this long. It's got two sticks and two pretty little gold angels on top. But it represents the presence of Almighty God. Throughout the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and into Deuteronomy, God lays out at different points how this box, this ark, is to be treated. It's to be treated with respect. It's to be treated with dignity. There's a certain way it's to be handled. God puts in place an order of operations for the ark. Only certain people can do certain things at certain times with this box. Over four books. And he establishes this. Well, what do we see here in 2 Samuel? We see David. David has gone to his mighty men, and he's consulted with his generals, his admirals, his captains. Do you think we need the ark? I mean, God, God, God's in the ark. I mean, if we had... If we've had such great luck against the Philistines under my kingship, imagine how good we could be if we had the ark of God. Do we need it? What do the generals say? Yeah, bring it on. Woo! Let's get God in here. Let's get the ark. we got to have the ark. We take that before us. No army will stand against us. So what do they do? David takes 30,000 of Israel's best men, goes down to Abinadab's house, and he says... We come to get the ark. They've got a brand new cart with oxen hooked to it. 
Well, I mean, we've seen this picture before, hadn't we? Brand new cart, oxen. They put the ark on the cart, and they begin to proceed down the road. And David's got a band out front. They're playing loud rocks music. What is, what is this? It's a parade. It's a spectacle. It may even be a small Trump rally. I don't know. There's so many people here. But it's all about the presence. Look at what we're doing. We've got fanfare for the ark. We're taking it to the ark. We're taking it back into Jerusalem. It's coming back to where, we, where it belongs. It's coming home. This is the reunion tour. Everybody come out and look. And as they proceed, and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah, what's Uzzah doing? He's driving the cart. When Ahio, his brother's walking beside it, and then vice versa, when Ahio's driving the cart, Uzzah's walking beside it as a as a security for the ark. Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God, and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. David is loved by God. There is no doubt. Read your scripture. God loves David. Uzzah is a Levite. His brother Ahio is a Levite. His dad, Abinadab, is a Levite because if we go back and we read, they, when they bring it to Abinadab's house, they consecrate his son, Eleazar, to watch after the ark. And Eleazar does this for 20 to 30 years. They are Levites. The proper people are moving the ark. They've got the music. They've got They've got the notoriety of people that are there. They've got powerful men. They've got great people. They've got a huge crowd. They've got a virgin cart. Nothing's ever bent on it. And when the ox stumbles, Uzzah, in his just automatic, just reaches out to stop it from falling in the dirt. Can I submit to you today the dirt was doing exactly what God commanded it to do. It's sitting there. It's being earth. The oxen are doing exactly what God made them for. Man is not. You see, the Levites are the ones to move the ark. They don't touch the ark. They don't grab it. Four Levites at a time go to the four corners where the rods are stuck in. They pick it up. They hoist it up on their shoulders in full regalia. They've got a linen robe. They've got special linen underwear that they wear. They've got what's called an ephod or a vestment that goes on that's woven out of gold, purple, and blue fiber. Then they have a metal breastplate that goes over that with a stone for every tribe of the, for every tribe of the Israelites. And they carry this without shoes, no matter where they go. Because if the presence of God there, what lesson did we learn from Moses? Take your shoes off your own holy ground. And so they walk 
And this is how it's to be carried. What does David do? David employs every man-made mechanism possible. He's got the right music. He's got the right crowd. He's got the right people in place, but he doesn't have the right plan. Does that sound like the church today? Hey, come go to church with me. Well, who goes to your church? What kind of music do you play? What? How big is the congregation? My first freshman year in college, I had introduction to MassCom. It was a class of 400 and roughly 50 people. And somehow we got to talking about television, t- or television church. And she's like, well, you know, I go to church with the Vander Holyfield. And everybody's, ooh, ah. And me being the smart aleck, not one to pass up the chance, I raise my hand. Uh, yes, are you in the 287th row? I go to church with God. So many times in our churches today, we're so focused on the music. What is the music? And there's nothing wrong with the mechanism of music. God gives us music. We get so focused on who goes to church. Well, does the mayor go to this church? Does, do the city council go to this church? Uh, we lived in Hollywood and ministered at First Baptist of Hollywood for a while. What celebrities go to your church? Bel Air First Prez is known as Celebrity Church. Ronald Reagan attended church there. All your great starlets that somewhat profess Christianity go to Bel Air First Prez. That's where you go if you're wanting to make it in Hollywood. You don't go to these other churches. You go to Bel Air Press because our congregation has notoriety. Well, how big is the congregation? I mean, are there just 15 or 20? Are there just 100 or so? Uh, Are there thousands? How big is the congregation? We rely on numbers when we want to worship. We rely on the music when we want to worship. We rely on the people when we want to worship. We affect all of these things, so much so that we affect the message. How many television pastors do you see that say, Jesus Christ came. He is God incarnate. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was stretched out on a cross. Nails were driven through his hands, through his feet, because your sin is so detestable to an almighty, holy, perfect God that there's no way you could stand before him except blood was poured out for you. Brother, that don't fill seats. That doesn't fill the church. That doesn't get us to where we think we ought to be. Let's turn over to 1 Chronicles. We'll be in 13 for just a second, and then we'll go to our passage in 15. 13, verse 12. David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring the ark of God to me? Is that not the question we ask as Christians today? How can I get God to come to me? How can I get God to whatever we want him to do? How can I get God to bless this ministry? How can I get God to bless my plan? How can I get God to give me what I want? I mean, is that not the church today? Is that, is that especially big church? Is that not big church today? 
healthy, wealthy, and wise, everything Satan promised in Christ. It doesn't, Satan doesn't come, hey, I've got some great poverty for you. Hey, you know what? I've got some great rebuking from your people for you. Satan doesn't do that. Jesus does. Jesus didn't come to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. He doesn't care about your health. He doesn't care about your wealth. He cares about your holiness. He cares about your purity. He cares about your love. What are you doing for your brother? If you've got money, what are you doing with it? If you've got fame, what are you doing with it? If I gave it to you, I expect something in return to be done with it. Church, if I give you a big congregation, I expect a big footprint in your community. Church, if I bless you with notable people, I expect them to speak out on my behalf because they have a big audience of their own. See, God puts in place a prescribed path. See, David, in this question, he's, he's, he's wondering about himself. How can I get God to come to me? How can I bring the ark in? I want the ark so that what? I can have a great military. I want the ark so that I can stand taller than all these other kings. I want, I want, I want. God, what do you want? See, David is right here at the cusp. He's beginning to realize that he has a necessity of purification through the process of sanctification unto the goal of consecration for God's glorification. That's a lot of big words. Purification, it means it's nasty, it's dirty, right? If, it, if, if you've got to be purified, it means you're nasty and you're dirty. David's right on the cusp of understanding, I am unclean. Then through sanctification, which is the act of setting something aside, it's the act of making it holy, it's the act of consecrating it. That's the process. The process is sanctification. Hopefully everybody in here is currently in that process of sanctification. If not, you're back here at the need of purification. If we're in sanctification, our end goal is what? Consecration. We want to be holy. If something is consecrated, it is declared holy. We have a need. We go through God's process so that we may be declared holy for glorification, for God's glory, for God's honor. We've got that, and God puts that out there. Well, David, that's the Old Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. I'm under... Oh, I knew I was talking to you. <laughs> I'm under grace. You're under grace. Yes, you're under grace from the penalty of God's wrath when you break the law. You're under grace for God to still love you. You're under grace. But the process is still in play. You are a vile, wretched sinner. If your mama told you you was the sweetest thing since sliced bread, I'm sorry, you're not. You are a vile, wretched sinner. So am I. I could write a book on how to sin and sin effectively. But we're vile. We're dirty. We're disgusting before God Almighty in ourselves. We need purification. God sent Jesus. 
Jesus came. He led the purified life. Write a book about that and try to sell it, living the purified life. So that he could sanctify, not himself, but you, 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 us. So that he could sanctify us. So that he could run us through the process to be what? Consecrated. That we can stand. As Revelation 7 says, there's a throng before the throne of God of countless people in white robes. The holy ones, the saints. So that we could be holy. And our holiness is but for one thing. To give God Glory. Christ died for purification, to provide for sanctification that you may be consecrated and give God glory. Man's mechanisms do not accomplish that. Billy Graham, I've worked several of his crusades. He said before he died, he estimated that maybe only 10% of every decision made at a crusade was legitimate. At best. People come, they get swept up in the music. Music's programmable. If you're at a Billy Graham crusade, you know the crusade's going to end with one of three songs. What are they? Just as I am, softly and tenderly, I surrender all. Cliff Barrows is going to get up and lead the congregation in one of those three. Music can be programmed. The message can be programmed to strike certain notes within the cord of the heart. It can touch the heart. We can talk about certain things, and you know it's going to tug on the heartstrings of a mom. You can talk about certain things, and you know it's going to hit a dad right in the gut. You can talk about certain things for teenagers that will trigger responses in them. It's not about triggering the response. It's about coming to God. Not, hey, God, what can I do to make you bless me? It's God. What can I do to bless you through this ministry? God, what's the process? What's the sanctifying process? What's the consecration of this ministry? Am I doing it for me or am I doing it for you? What is it? Well, let's turn over to 15. Because thankfully, like your sin and my sin, that's not the end. Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 15. David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. David realized my mechanisms didn't work. My programming didn't work. My huge crowds, though they were cool, didn't work. I've got to do it God's way. I've got to move the ark the way God says to move it. What does it look like when God's people are doing God's plan? Joshua chapter 3. Don't turn there. I'll just tell it. You can read it later. Israel has come into the promised land. And they're about to take Jericho. And they're on one side of the Jordan. Jericho's on the other. God says to Joshua that one night, sanctify yourselves. Get prepared. 
have the Levites consecrate themselves, have the Levites make themselves holy. And there's a whole process for Levites. There's a dietary process, there's a hygienic process, there's a spiritual process that they have to go through. Sacrifices have to be made, washings have to be done, prayers have to be said. Get them ready, make them holy. And when you go out tomorrow, or whatever day, and the moment the priest's soul touches the Jordan... What's going to happen? Says the headwaters. God says to Joshua, I will stop the headwaters of the Jordan. It's not that the river just all of a sudden just pools right here. It's that the very source piles up and piles up and piles up miles away. It's not right here. It's miles away that the piling up occurs. Sometimes in our life, the piling up when God says go and do occurs way far away from us, without us ever knowing. But then what happens? The moment their foot touched the river, dry ground appeared, and all of Israel crossed across. The moment the ark got to the river and holy ground was realized, the impediment stopped, and dry ground appeared for Israel to cross over. And do, are they successful at Jericho? Yeah! They march around the day the first time, get stuff dumped on them, laughed at. Do it five more times, get stuff dumped on them, get laughed at. Seventh day, they go around it seven times, blow their trumpets, and what happens? Walls fall. That's what walking in God's holiness looks like. And David gathered all Israel together in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. Man, this looks just like what it was a minute ago. Then David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites, the son of Kohath, Uriel the chief, and 120 of his brethren, the sons of Merari, Asiah the chief, and 200 of his brethren, of the sons of Gershom, Joel the chief, and 130 of his brethren, of the sons of Elzaphim, Shemamiah the chief, and 200 of his brethren, the sons of Hebron, Eliel the chief, and 80 of his brethren, the sons of Uziel, Abinadab, Aminadab, the chief and 120 of his brethren, or 112, excuse me. And David called for Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asiah, Joel, Shemiah, Eliel, Aminadab. He said to them, you are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves. I learned this lesson the hard way, boys. Go and make ready. Get ready. Sanctify yourself so that when we get ready to move the ark, you are consecrated. You are holy. Before you get ready to teach Sunday school, teacher, make sure you are holy. Before you get ready to sing, choir member, make sure you are holy. Before you get ready to do anything, before you get ready to coach on a Tuesday or Thursday night out here on this upward field and you're going to share the gospel with kids, make sure you are holy. Well, David, you don't understand. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm, I'm not any of those things 1 Peter 2.5 says different. It says you are a holy priesthood built upon the stone that is Christ, and it is your command to give sacrifice to God day and night. Before God continually. That's what you're called for. But I'm not a priest. Yes. Yes, you are. God's word said you are. 
God's word's not relative. It's a static stone in the middle of a dynamic sea of relativism in our world today. It stands resolute. There is no changing with God. If it was thievery years ago, it's thievery now. If it was immoral sex years ago, it's immoral sex now. If it's the wrong way of, lo- of thinking about a brother then, if it was hatred then, it's hatred now. God's word does not change. We are called to be priests and give the sacrifice. If it's a sacrifice of praise, praise God. If it's a sacrifice of money, praise God. If it's a sacrifice of time, praise God. But give God sacrifices continually because you are a high priest. Sanctify yourselves unto consecration for God's glorification. That's what we're hearing here. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of God. You got to read the word to know the word. They read it, understood it, applied it. Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, cymbals by the raising of voice with the resounding joy. So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and, well, we'll just call these guys the band. They can worry about the name later. We'll jump down here to 25. So David, the elders of Israel, and the captains, over thousands, went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant from the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And so it was when God helped the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who bore the ark, the singers, the, the Kenaniah, the music master with his singers. David also wore a linen ephod. Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn, with trumpets and with cymbals, making music with stringed instruments and harps. That sounds a lot like the first go-round, does it not? Big crowds, loud music, got... Famous people there, mighty people there, lots of people there. You got the king there. You've even got the ark, but what changed? Did it God's way, didn't he? Second time they have success. They did it God's way, not man's way, not my way. I can't get to God on my own. My salvation is by faith and not of works, lest I should boast. Your sanctification is not accomplished by you. It's accomplished by Christ, that you may stand in Christ and be considered consecrated before a holy, mighty, and loving God. And it happened as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David whirling and playing music, and she despised him in her heart. We're not worried about her. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate to thank and to praise the Lord God of Israel. There's nothing wrong with our mechanisms when used the right way, when used in God's order. 
love heartfelt, good, emotional worship. I don't think there's anybody in here that's more Baptocostal than I am. I've been known to run sometimes in worship. But if it's designed by the music leader and not the Holy Spirit, what good is it? The Bible says you're as a, as a clanging cymbal. You're just making noise. If I read my Bible with the intent of telling everybody, I read it in a year. What good that do you? Nothing. Now, I'm not opposed to you reading your Bible through in a year. If you can read it through in a year and you can get something from it, God bless you. But to me, that's like running through a gold mine and just getting a little bit of gold dust on your foot and not stopping and grabbing nuggets and sticking in your pocket. When Andy and I lived in California, she worked down in Orange. And so I would drop her off at work some days on Saturdays. And I would drive out to Manhattan Beach, Newport Beach, Long Beach, because they were right there where Andy worked. And I would spend the day reading my Bible. I can say I've read the Bible through in four days. You know how much I remember of it? (laughs) Not one thing. But I can tell you pretty much everything I learned from a 16-week series that I preached on the Ten Commandments. I can tell you everything because I slowed down. I got in God's Word. I allowed it to soak into me. I soaked in it. I prayed through it. I prayed for it in me. When we study, study that way. Take your time. Understand what the text is saying. If we're just reading it through so on the Bible app, we can check the five stars that we read it through in a year, that's man's mechanism. The Word of God did you pretty much no good at that point. We can affect the message. And there's nothing wrong with encouraging messages. I love to be encouraged. I had a brother this morning come up to me and just encourage me. As unworthy of it as I felt, he encouraged me. And that's great. But if we're not encouraging brothers in the Lord, if we're not encouraging sisters... In God, towards holiness, if we're not pushing them towards holiness. Yeah, we feel good, but then the next bad thing that happens, we lose it, don't we? We get rid of it. God's goal is glorification for you. It is effective Christian living. It is a righteous walk. Let's talk about a righteous walk. What does a righteous walk look like? You see that person, you think, hey, man, that person's a Christian. Hey, man, look at what they're doing. Those people are awesome. Can I tell you, the New Testament has another word for them. They're called Pharisees. They walk the walk, they talk the talk, and they look so great. But when we get to Christian living, living is what you do in your home. Living is what you do in your mind. That's when you really get holy. Like we tell our kids, if your faith doesn't work at home, then it doesn't work. If your faith's not working at home then it's not working. If your faith's not working in the wee hours of the morning when you're scrolling through your phone, then it doesn't work. If, it does, if your faith doesn't work around the water cooler at work where nobody knows that you go to church, then it doesn't work. It's not a working faith. You may, you may have the appearance of a righteous walk, but you don't have the work, working faith. But then an empowered life. God wants to empower us with the Holy Spirit. He wants to give you the bravery And the courage to walk up to that cashier when you're checking out. Hey, you look like you've had a rough day. Do you know Jesus? 
Let me tell you how Jesus can help you through your rough days. Let me tell you the love that he has for you. It gives you the courage to serve in areas when you don't know how to speak, when you don't know how to really study, but a friend, a brother, a sister comes alongside you and says, I will help you learn to teach that Sunday school class if you're putting yourself out there. If God's really calling you to do that, I will help you learn. God can give you the courage. He can give you the ability to learn. It's seeking God. It's an empowered life. We, can't def- we, we just cannot rely on our mechanisms. Billy Graham's crusades are mechanized. They've got a book this thick about how every crusade was supposed to happen. And every one of them pretty much went off without a hitch. And yet Billy Graham says only 10% that he feels responded because of mechanisms. Or in his, in his, and he goes on to say that it's actually the Holy Spirit that worked through him and not in, in light of him. Let's get past the mechanisms, church. Let's get on that path. Let's get on to sanctification. I'm on the path. Some days it's a step forward and three or four steps back. But it's a matter of staying there. It's a matter of walking in that. It's a matter of seeking God through that. It's a matter of getting past what we think ought to be and getting into what God says should be. It's it's a matter of getting in to Christ. It's a matter of walking into Christ. We have the ark. It's representative of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came in another ark, and He walked this earth for 33 years. And now we're called to worship And to give praise to that ark. To minister before it day and night to give sacrifices as living stones as a holy priesthood. It's hard. It's hard to do. It's hard to live. It's hard to live day in and day out like that. But we're not the ones responsible for it. We're responsible for making ourselves available. Christ said, I will build my church. That means he's going to take the rock, he's going to shape it, and he's going to make it a living stone. He's going to shape me. He's going to hone me. He's going to clean me. He's going to make me just right for where I fit within the body. He's going to do that for those that say, here I am, God. Father God, we thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share from it. God, we love you. We love your word. And Father, you are amazing. Father, do your work. Father, you do what only you can do. Father, work in hearts only the way that you can work. And we give you glory and honor. Father, we ask all this in the pure and holy name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. There's mercy with the Lord, and He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you. Precious blood.
rich blessing to bestow. Plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. He will save you, he will save you, he will save you Point of announcement, tomorrow, both children and youth will be leaving for camp at 11. We don't want them to get there early and then say, well, camp's closed. We haven't opened up for the day yet. So we're going we're gonna to postpone it an hour. So both kids and youth are leaving. Uh, no activities here on campus tonight. Some of the Sunday schools are getting together tonight. Um, read your bulletin. Again, baby bottles due next week for the Coweta Pregnancy Center. Filled with change, cash, or checks, your choice. Uh, I drew the straw to be deacon of the week this week, preacher of the week this week, and counter of the week this week. So Kim told me she was going to put us the David Maston show out front today. So, uh, but I'll close us in prayer and we'll go our way. Father God, I thank you for your people. I thank you for Northside. Father, how they've loved on me and my family, how they've poured into my children. Father, I thank you for the church that is, a church that seeks you that seeks not to be mechanized, but to be changed, to be sanctified, God. Father, work in us. Father, I thank you for our time together this morning. Father, I hope you have been praised and glorified and edified. Father, be with us now as we go our separate ways. Bring us back together. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.